Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So we're starting, we're getting back, we're finishing actually. It's a short series, two-week series, answering some of your questions. Uh, the, the, the series we're calling it, you asked for it. You had two to three weeks to send in your questions about God, faith, Christianity, culture, the Bible. Last week we talked about the first two. <laughs> Did some light issues, polygamy and slavery. Uh, and uh, if, if you missed it, uh, you can go uh, to our, our app and you can, you can hear those that we answered those questions. Um, I decided I am against polygamy. So you can put me down as in the opposed category uh, to polygamy and to slavery. So um, tonight we're going to be getting into some more questions and we actually have, don't, don't laugh and don't, don't, don't lose heart, don't lose faith. We have four questions we're going to hit tonight. We may not get through all four of them, but we're going to try our darndest. Um, So if you have your Bible, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and as you're turning there, that was our jumping off point last week, it's going to be our jumping off point this week because we'll we'll talk about it here in a second, it it really is the most important jumping off point when you have a question about the Bible or about the faith. But as you're turning there, here are the questions that we're going to answer tonight. You're going to see there's kind of a theme. That's why I put these questions, like as I was picking them, I decided let's try to do these four tonight. Question number one, if God planned the earth to be perfect for us, then why did he let Satan into the world? Pretty good question. The second question is going to be, if God is slow to anger and patient, then why, why when Adam and Eve first sinned was God's wrath and punishment so severe and permanent? must be some middle school girl inside joke that I'm not aware of. All right. Um, The third is, if we are made in the image of God, why does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation? If we're already in his image, why would we need a new one? (laughs) I like it. Okay. And then the fourth question is, if we're saved by faith in Jesus' sacrifice alone and works don't save us, what's the point of the final judgment mentioned in Revelation? Okay. I was ready for it that time. So, as you can see, um, yeah, it's kind of funny doing the ooh thing, but these really are, if you think about it, if you look at the questions up here, they really are serious questions because each and every one of these questions has to do with people's eternal destinies. Each of these questions has to do with heaven or hell. Each of these questions has to do with what does it mean to be saved and why do we need Jesus? So as we work through these questions, we go to God's word because it's our final authority. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says this. This would be a good verse for you to memorize. When I was a kid, we had this thing called Awana at at church. Did any of y'all ever have a... Okay, yeah, okay, some OG Awana, okay. And I memorized this in King James English back in the day. But here's how it reads in the English Standard Version, which is a little easier to read. All Scripture is... That's not really in the Bible. It's breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So first it says that all Scripture, all of the Bible is... God breathed, is breathed out by God. So it's true, it's the word of God. And it's good for, for teaching, that's answering questions. But it's also good for correction and training and righteousness. So tonight we're not just going to be answering your questions. We're going to say, God's word speaks about this. So how should it affect the way that we live? 
Got four B words for you later about how it affects the way that we lived. I almost slipped up. I was preaching to the old people on Sunday night. I almost used the term F words, but I figured there'd be a large collective old lady gasp. So I just said words. Um, so, so 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us we have questions, and it's great to have questions, and I'm glad you sent questions in. The place we need to go for true answers to questions is the only ultimately true thing we, ever, we will ever encounter, and it's God's word, this side of heaven. So each of these questions, all four of these questions deal with what it means to be saved. It has to do with why we're sinners, it has to do with what Jesus can do in our lives, and then it has to do with what happens after we die. Where do we go? So these are serious questions. So before we jump in, um, I'd like to pray together. I'd like to take this to God and ask him to speak to our hearts. So let's bow our head and close our eyes. And let's, let's, let's go to God again in prayer. We've already done it once. Let's do it again. Um, God, as we've, we've read this passage in your word and it reminds us that, that you have the answers to our questions. And then as we think about the seriousness of these four questions that were asked God, I pray that you'll remove distractions, things that could cause us just not to pay attention, to check out, to, um, to just kind of gloss over what we're talking about. And God, I pray that we'll remember that this, is, this isn't just theory. These aren't just trivia questions. This is real life. So God, I pray that we'll grasp the seriousness of these questions tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first question, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be kind of going through the Bible. We're actually, now you're in 2 Timothy 3, I want you to turn back to Genesis 1. It's literally like page 1 of your Bibles, Genesis 1. And as we go back there, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be going through the story of the Bible. And what I believe is as we go through the story of the Bible, each of these four questions we're going to answer as we work through God's plan of salvation. Not just for us, but for the world. And we're going to run into four big truths as we do that. And the first big truth we run into is that God created us to be with him. If, you, if you're in Genesis 1, what you'll see, yeah, we'll get back to that meme here in a second. Uh, what you'll see in Genesis 1, we're not, we, we could, but remember, we're trying to answer four questions. So we're going to be speed reading and kind of going through. We can't read through all of Genesis 1 and all of Genesis 2, but we're kind of zooming in on the end of Genesis 1. It says, then God said, you know, remember, God's created the sun, moon, stars, animals, pterodactyls and platypi and is it platypuses or platypi I don't know but he created all the he created all the the vegetation he created all the animals and then he said in verse 26 let us make man in our image after our likeness so the first thing we see here is that we as humans were created in the image of God we weren't created to be gods there's a cult that believes that down the road there. We weren't created to be gods. We were created in the likeness of God. That means God has a personality. We have a personality. Some of your personalities are a little extra. God, we, we have a personality. God has emotions. We have emotions. God has a, a, a human body. We have a human body that he created. He created us in his image. The animals weren't created in his image. Some moon and stars weren't created in his image. The vegetation wasn't created in his image. The plants weren't created in his image. But humans were created in God's image. And he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. See, God says go fishing. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, go turkey hunting, and over all the livestock, raise you some chickens, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing. That includes deer, so you can, God said go deer hunting. Then, what does it say again? God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female he created them, so it's not just guys that were created in the image of God, or it's not just girls that were created in the image of God. Every human to ever live, to ever exist, was created in God's likeness. And said, God blessed them, and he said to them, and then he gives them some commands too. First, the first command is, have dominion, run the earth, enjoy the playground I've created. Then he says, be fruitful and multiply the earth, fill the earth and subdue it. He says, make some babies. Create lots of people. God said that. And then God said, I've given you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth. You shall have them for food. Another command. This is my favorite one. Eat. And to every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven, every creeping thing, I've given every green plant for food. And then what does it say? God saw everything he made and behold, it was very good. So we see here God creating us to have a relationship with him, creating us in this perfect world, created the first man, created the first woman. He tells them, be in charge of this earth, enjoy this creation I've made, fill it with other humans, eat these plants. And he said it was very good. You zoom into Genesis 2 and we see that we were created, what, for relationships. Genesis 2.18, it says it's not good that man should be alone. And God creates not just Adam, but he creates Eve as a companion for him. What's interesting too, you see another job that Adam gave in Genesis 2. It says that, that um, the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. God gave Adam a purpose. Adam wasn't just sitting around like chilling, like swinging like Tarzan from a bunch of vines eating fruit. Like he had things to do that were exciting and fun. Like he and God like had this relationship. They were naming animals together. I mean, I know he didn't give them English names like that we know them today. But like, can you imagine like God's like, what do you want to call that? Dog. Okay. What do you want to call that? That's strange. Let's call it platypus. What do you want to call that? Dinosaur. Now God's like, I'm going to throw him for one here. Flying dinosaur. And Adam's like, I got this one. Pterodactyl. But the P is silent. Like, and God's like, are you sure about that? Yes. So, so this incredible relationship between God and Adam and Eve we were created for a relationship with God. We were created for perfect relationships with each other. Created for perfect romantic relationships. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Hopefully you're mature enough to, to, to understand that and not be immature and giggle and cut up the whole rest of the time. But God created us to be in this perfect world. What's interesting is, is, is as you read in, um, in, in Isaiah 14 and as you read in the book of Ezekiel, what you find out is not only did God create what's on the earth, God created what is in heaven. God created the angels. God created the, the, the one who was the, 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 the head of the angels, the worship leader. His name was Lucifer. And just like what God created on earth was good, what God created in heaven was good. But then you start reading, and then you start seeing what 
happens. So that's what the meme was about. Adam trying to figure out what to name all them animals, right? Yeah, this incredible situation, but what happened? God didn't just create us to be with him. Then the next thing that happened was our sins separated us from God. What was the first sin? A lot of us go to Genesis 3, and that was really the first sin in the sense that we're affected by it, the human sin. But there was someone who rebelled against God before Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And we read about it in Isaiah chapter 14. It's kind of a, written in poetry, so it's a little harder for us to understand until we dig deep into it. But essentially what this section of scripture is doing is it's describing how Satan went from being a worship leader in heaven to being the terrible, 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 insidious, evil being he is today. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you were cut down to the ground, you have laid the nations low. That's the punishment that God gave to Satan for his rebellion. Here's what he did. Here's what Satan did when he was an angel in heaven. You said in your heart, he said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. There's only one person, there's only one person who can have his throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. Then he said, I will make myself like the most high. Satan tried mutiny against God. Let a whole host of angels with him in rebellion against God. And what, what happened? He fell from heaven. More specifically, God gave him das boot. God kicked him out of heaven. Because Satan tried to overthrow God. Nobody overthrows God because God is God, right? Part of, part of being God is nobody can overthrow you, right? It's kind of like, be, yeah, kind of like, uh, yeah, kind of like, uh, for a while anyway, it was like being Tom Brady. Nobody beats Tom Brady until the Cowboys did. Last game, Cowboys beat Tom Brady. We, 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 you're, you're welcome. We, we ended his career. Uh, anyway, um, so you have Satan, rebels against God, wants to be like God, and then what happens? Now where do we find Satan? Remember Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God created us to be with him. We find Satan in Genesis 3, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field the Lord had made. What we realize, and through a study of scripture, we realize this serpent was no one other than Satan himself. He couldn't overthrow God in heaven, so he tries to overthrow the people who bear God's image on earth. And what does Satan do? He tempts Eve. Because God left Adam and Eve with a decision. He said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat, for you will surely die. It's like all those memes, you had one job. You all this you videos on YouTube, you had one job. They had one job. And Satan's mission was to make sure they failed at that one job. So Satan says to Eve, did God actually say you shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the certain way, well, we may eat of any tree in the garden, but God said don't eat of the tree of the, that's in the middle of the garden or you'll die. The serpent, Satan said to the woman, you won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will what? Satan's lying, of course. He says you will be 
like God, knowing good from evil. Most of you probably know the story, right? Eve gives into the temptation. She eats the fruit. Adam is right next to her, being the doofus he is, not even thinking. He's probably playing Xbox. He's not even paying attention to what's going on. Like beta male, right? Anyway, he's, and he, she gives the fruit to him. He eats it too. They fall into sin. Let me see if you notice this too. Satan's rebellion and our rebellion, the root is the same. We think we're better than God. We think we're in a better position to make moral judgments than God. We think we're in a better position to direct our life than God. We think we're the ones who should get all the glory and all the fame and all the exaltation. Right? Satan says, I'll make myself like the most high. How does Satan tempt Eve? He says, you can be like God. The same root, both sins. So to answer the first question, if God planned the earth to be perfect for us, why did he let Satan into the world? It's because Satan's sin, just like our sin, was not in God's design. God did not create sin. God did not make Satan rebel. God did not make Adam and Eve eat the fruit they were forbidden to eat. Satan made a choice to rebel against God. Adam and Eve made a choice to rebel against God. You may say, well, why didn't God just create people that just always followed him and always did the right thing and always you, you, jumped when he said jump and did as many push-ups as when he said to make, do as many push-ups? Because God created us for a relationship with him. A relationship where one person does exactly what the other person says all the time is not a relationship. God created us for a relationship with him. So Satan's sin, just like our sins, was not in God's design. But it wasn't outside, but it was in God's plan. Our sin separates us from God. We see in Genesis 3, we see the consequences. We see the consequences of being separated from God. Just look here in Genesis, Genesis 3 as you keep reading. The first thing you see, the relationships are damaged. They hear God walking in the garden and they're like, oh snap, we did what God told us not to do. What can we do? We've got to hide ourselves. So they, they, they sew fig leaves together to try to cover up their nakedness and they hide in a bush from God. Like, I'm pretty sure God can see through bushes. Like, you know, it's, I, I, I'm pretty sure. So God's walking around. You, you, God's a little sarcastic here, I think. Like God, you, God says, Adam, where are you? Like God doesn't know where he is, right? God says, Adam, where are you? And God, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Then God has this back and forth. He says, Adam, who told you you were naked? Like, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat from? Once again, God knows. He's given Adam the opportunity to fess up. Does Adam take responsibility for what he did? What does he say? The woman you gave to me. That's like some kind of country song. Blame it on the woman, right? Like, the woman you gave to me. She gave me fruit of the tree and ate. So God goes to Eve. So you did it, huh? And Eve says, no, 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 no. The serpent deceived me. So you can see now, right? Remember, we're created for a perfect relationship with God. What are Adam and Eve doing? Running from God. We're created for perfect relationships with each other. What are Adam and Eve doing? The first marital fight ever recorded. We see the relationships broken. 
We also see that the consequences of our sin make it difficult. We don't have time to go through it little, you know, one by one by one by one. But we see some of the things that, that happen. We, we see death. Uh, we see that things are difficult. Work is no longer exciting. You're not naming animals. You're like digging in the dirt to try to make, make, you know, make a living for yourself. But we also see you are dust and to dust you will return. That God told Adam, because of your sin, you're going to die. What death was God talking about? Well, Adam and Eve had an immediate spiritual death they became dead in their sins. You can read that through, follow it through, through the whole Bible. What else happened? Well, they had a future physical death. Just like some of you have milk that's old in your refrigerator past the expiration date. Each one of us, our lives have an expiration date on it. And then there's an impending eternal death. So the question, the second question that was asked is, if God's slow to anger and patient, why was his punishment so severe to them? Like, why go right to death? Well, the first thing we need to recognize, and it was even mentioned in our tag group, is that sin is a big deal. If God is the giver of life, when you cut yourself off from the giver of life, you can't expect to live. But the second thing we see here, there's a severe punishment but you do see God's patience and you do see his slowness to anger. There are a few ways. The first is God promises in Genesis 3.15, the first mention of the gospel in the Bible, that one day a, the seed of Eve would come. He says, I'll put enmity, it's a long theological thing, but pretty much what he's saying is that one day a human is gonna come that's gonna crush the head of Satan that's gonna fix this problem. So there's a promised seed, but then what does God do? In Genesis three, in, into, the, into verse 22, God, or excuse me, verse 20, he says, the man called his wife Eve, she's the mother of all living, and God made for Adam and Eve garments of skin and clothed them. He covered their nakedness so they could be acceptable in God's sight. What had to happen for, that, for them to be acceptable in God's sight? It didn't cover their sin. What had to happen if garments of skin were given to them? Something had to die. An animal had to die. A sacrifice had to be made so that Adam and Eve could be made acceptable in God's sight. So we see these two promises here. As soon as, I mean, Adam and Eve hadn't even fully digested. They hadn't even gone to the bathroom with the fruit that they just ate. That was maybe a little too gross. But before they even digest the fruit, God has a promise for them. That the, the seed of a woman, a human, is one day gonna come and save them from their sin. And he makes a sacrifice that points them to the ultimate sacrifice that will come in Jesus. And we see that Adam and Eve don't die immediately physically. They're given the opportunity to place their trust in that promised seed, to place their trust in who we, we know now to be Jesus who would come. It reminds me of this verse in 2 Peter, one of the, the, the newest verses in the Bible, written towards the end of the Bible, that says this. That people are asking, why hasn't God come yet? You know, where is God? He said he's gonna come back. Why hasn't he come back? Well, here's the reason he hasn't come back. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. He is coming back. But he's patient toward you. 
He doesn't want any to perish, but that all should reach repentance. God could come tonight, judge the world, cut it off, and be just, be right to do it. But God is so patient that he has, he, he's delaying his coming so that more people can come to a saving knowledge of him. So we see, we see God, we see his patience. The answer to the question is, even though, God, even though Adam and Eve deserved immediate punishment, God was merciful and God was patient. Two out of four, we're getting there. This one's gonna be a little faster, I think. Because um, we're starting now to figure out, remember we said there's a, there was a seed promised, a human, and a human that would make a sacrifice that was promised. So now, you can turn in your Bible or it's on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter five. We're getting into this third question here. And it kind of answers this promise that was given in Genesis chapter three. Remember, what was the promise? A seed, a human, who would be a sacrifice. We're gonna look at verse 17 here in a second, but go down to verse 21. It says, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin. Who was him who knew no sin? There's only been ever, yep, only been ever one person who's never sinned. But what do we know about Jesus? Well, Jesus was God, but what else was Jesus? He was perfect and he was human. He was God in a bond. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus is that promised seed of a human. He's the one that God thousands of years before in Genesis 3.15 promised would come and make things right. But what did he do? He made him to be sin. How did Jesus become sin? On the cross, he bore our sin. So here we see the sacrifice. God made him, God made Jesus who never knew any sin to become sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God. Do you see that exchange that took place? We're talking about, Hunter was telling us about on D now, you're gonna be given a penny. Your team on the Amazing Race is gonna be given a penny and see what you can trade it up for, Right? And, and, and the whole way that works is people have to, somebody has to be on the bad end of that deal. I've heard of a group one time that did something like that and they, ended, they, they came back to the church with a car. It was like a beater car, but it was a car. Somebody was on the bad end of that deal and they were on the good end of that deal. We were on the good end of this deal. We became the righteousness of God. Jesus was on the bad end of the deal. He became our sin and died in our place. So what, is that, what does that mean for us? Well, that's where we get to verse 17. It's almost like the, the, the end of this passage describes why this is true. That if anyone is in Christ, he's a, oop, didn't mean to do that. He is a new creation. What does it mean to be a new creation? It means that you're new. It doesn't mean that God fixes the broken parts of your life. It means that... It's a brand new person. So the question was, if we were created in the image of God, how is it that we become a new person if we're already in God's image? The answer is that it doesn't change the fact that we're in the image of God, but what it does change, the fact that it does change is it takes this human who was made in the image of God, who was spiritually dead, has been made alive and been given new life. Maybe another way to say it 
is this. New life in Jesus means being reconnected to the one whose image we bear. We're going to get to the final one. I think we're going to do this. This is the most important one because it talks about the judgment. We're going, to do, we're going to answer this question up front and then we're going to explain it. This is a good question. If we're saved by faith in Jesus, in his sacrifice alone, and works don't save us, yeah, Adam and Eve's fig leaves definitely didn't save them. They were like falling off in really inconspicuous places. If works don't save us, what's the point of the final judgment mentioned in Revelation? Here's the answer. And we're going to explain it real quick. What you do with Jesus, what you do with what we just described in 2 Corinthians 15, or chapter 5, what you do with Jesus determines the judgment you'll face. The Bible teaches that there are two judgments. You know, Hebrews chapter 9 says that it's determined unto people once to die and then after that the judgment. You know how you have an expiration date just like a carton of milk? You know, and, and, and the older you get, the closer you feel like you're getting to your expiration date. The Bible says that after your expiration date, there is something else, and it's the judgment. God's word teaches us there are two judgments. There's first a judgment that people who believe in Jesus will face, people who are saved. And there's another judgment that's described in the Bible that people who do not believe in Jesus will face. The judgment that believers in Jesus will face, people who trust in Jesus, is called the judgment seat of Christ. We don't have time to examine all the scriptures that, that, that talk about it, but here's, here are a few. Romans chapter 14 says this. It's telling you not to judge other people and pass judgment on others. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That was written specifically to Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 describes the judgment seat of Christ like this, that we will be judged based on whether what we did will last for eternity. What did we say last week? The three things that will matter in eternity are what you do with God's word, what you do with God, and what you do with the souls of men and women. We'll be judged on those things. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we can receive what is due for what we've done. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 describes it this way, that we will receive crowns. You ever, you ever heard that? Has anybody ever told you that? Maybe you've heard that about that in songs. We think of a crown, we think of like, you know, big, you know, old crusty Queen Elizabeth crowns, right? But the, the word in the Greek is the word stephanos, which has to do with this kind of crown. It's like a white girl crown. But back in the, back in the first century, it's what the Greco-Roman athletes would, would be given when they would be winners in the Olympic Games. They would be given, they'd be given wreaths, they'd be given crowns as rewards for their excellent accomplishments. And that's what Paul's describing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And the Bible speaks about five different crowns that Christians can earn and Christians can be given in heaven at this judgment. And yeah, once again, we don't have time to flip and go through each of them, but there's the imperishable crown, which is given for faithful endurance and spiritual discipline, sticking it out. There's the crown of rejoicing, which is given for people who win others to Christ and build them up in Christ. There's the crown of righteousness for people who are always holding on to the faith, even when it's tough and looking for Jesus to come back. There's the crown of life given to people who endure spiritual trials. <laughs> Some of you working on that crown right now. There's the crown of glory. That's, most people believe that's specific for people who are leaders in the church and who care for God's people and shepherd God's people. But here's the thing you want to think about with these crowns. A lot of you like to collect things and you're very proud of your little collections and whatever you collect. 
These are not things that we're just gonna collect and like post on Instagram, put in shadow boxes in our little mansion in heaven and be like, look at the wreath I got, guys. You wanna, y'all wanna come over to my house for dinner and I'll show you my wreaths? It's not gonna be like that. The Revelation chapter four describes how we're gonna take these rewards that we've been given and we're gonna go before the throne of God and we're gonna see Jesus and we're gonna take our crowns, Stephanos, those Greek wreaths, we're gonna cast them before Jesus as an act of worship. So when we get to heaven, we're going to be given rewards and those rewards are going to allow us to worship God in a very special way. I hope that made sense because that's like, yeah, people study that for months and months and months in Bible studies. So people who believe in Jesus will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ when we get to heaven. People who don't believe in Jesus will face judgment at what's called the great white throne. Revelation chapter 20 describes it. You can turn there if you want to, but we're running out of time, so we're gonna go through this as quickly as I can, but I don't wanna... I know I need to get through and I know I need to let you out here in a minute, but I also, this is such a serious passage that I don't wanna just read it and say goodbye. This is the end of time. Christ has come, he's ruled and reigned. He's judging the nations and now he judges people. John has been given a vision of this in the future and he says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. That was Jesus, that was God. From his presence the sky fled away. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Every person to ever live. Stand, can you imagine what the scene is like there? And books were opened. And then another book is open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, which is probably what they did, their works, according to what they'd done. The sea gave up their dead. Death and Hades gave up their dead. They were judged, each one of them, according to what they'd done. Death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. And this is the most important part. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's one thing that's more important than anything else here. And it's this. The book of life. We read other parts in other parts of scripture. That book is the book that contains the names of people who placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And according to God's word here, people who have not placed their faith in Jesus will be judged by what they've done, which is a scary thought, because none of us measure up to God's standard. And Anyone whose name is not found written in this book of life is sent to a place that lasts forever called hell. You say, Matt, I don't really think it's good to talk about hell. I really don't think we should talk about it. I think we should be positive and encouraging. You know, Jesus mentioned hell pretty often. Jesus mentioned hell actually more than he mentioned heaven because he wanted to keep people out of it. He described it as a place where torment never ends, where he calls, it says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place nobody wants to go. But unfortunately, there are a lot of people whose names are not written in that book of life that will end up there. So people who put their faith in Christ are not judged by their works. They're judged by Jesus' works, which are perfect. They're judged by what they've done for Christ so that they can have rewards in heaven. You don't earn your way to heaven. People who haven't placed their faith in Christ are going up against the judgment they have no shot of getting out of. So how do we wrap this up? You see, Matt, it got pretty serious pretty quick. We gotta get out of here, I know. So I just want, you can write these B words down. You can take a picture of them. Do what you want to with them. The first is book. <laughs> I, I can't, we, we can't talk about this without asking, is your name in the book? 
Do you know that your name is in the book? Have you, have you trusted that when Jesus died in your place, he died for your sins? There's literally nothing more important than that. There's no question on any test you'll ever take that's more important than that question. Build, are you, how are you building your life? The new life God's given you. When you get to that great moment where people have the opportunity to cast their crowns at Jesus' feet in an act of worship, will you have crowns to cast? Are you living a life that matters? The next is belonging. We've talked about all the things we can do to earn rewards in heaven, but the thing we have to remember, we don't work for acceptance. We work from acceptance. We can't earn our way to heaven. This is all God's grace. And the final is burden. For those of you that you know your name is in the book, does it bother you that there are people whose names are not in the book? Some of you walk in hallways that are teeming with people whose names are not in the book of life. We have to be courteous and we have to be kind and we have to be diplomatic about the way that we share the gospel. But it should bother us a little bit that there are people God's placed in our life that unless we tell them about Jesus, they have no hope. So we gotta wrap this up. We got through all four questions. That was a lot. And it was heavy stuff. Stuff that maybe we could have talked about in more detail if we would have extended this series longer. If you have any questions, please reach out to me. Reach out to one of your tag leaders. Um, we're gonna pray. And then um, I've got a couple things just to let you know about on the way out. So let, let's, let's pray together. God, this is so serious and we just have such a limited time at Refuel. It's a great time, but it's, it's short. And God, I, God I, just, I worry that we didn't do it justice. I worry that, that this is so serious that we need more time for it to sink in. So God, I pray that as we leave, God, that your word will leave with us. That as we leave, that the conviction that we felt through these very convicting passages will leave with us. God, I pray if there's someone here tonight that does not know if their name is in the book, God, that they will turn and trust to you tonight and they will leave. They'll walk through that back door knowing that their future is secure and knowing that their name is in the book. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.